Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we look at what the future might hold for Arsenal forward Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang as he became the first African captain to lift the FA Cup. There's lots of speculation over his future. Will he stay with the Gunners? Might there be a move to Real Madrid or to another club that can give him Champions League football? Also, we go to Cameroon, where former national team captain Stephen Tator died at the age of 57. Another great player to have passed away in financial hardship. He's a man who decided to live a life of seclusion. He tried as much as possible to avoid people. If you went to his residence in Yaoundé Dragash, it was impossible to see him. That's coming later, plus a steward on newly promoted Fulham, who won the English Championship playoff final. First, Nigeria striker Victor Osimen has become the most expensive African footballer ever, moving to Italian Syria outside Napoli from French club Lille. The deal's worth 96 million US dollars, more than the 89 million that English side Arsenal paid Lille for Ivory Coast Nicolas Pepe a year ago. We spoke about Osimen a few weeks ago on the show, scoring 18 goals for Lille last season, becoming hot property and having taken the golden boot at the 2015 FIFA Under-17 World Cup. After Osimen and Pepe, Cedric Bakambu of DR Congo is third on the list. He moved for $79 million from Villarreal in Spain to Beijing Guan in China. Riyad Mahrez, the Algerian, is the fourth most expensive African ever after his $72 million move to Manchester City. And Gabon's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang moved from Borussia Dortmund to Arsenal for $68 million, making him the fifth most expensive African player of all time. Well, staying with the Gabon star Aubameyang, there's lots of speculation over his future. Will he stay with the Gunners? Might there be a move to Real Madrid? Aubameyang scored both goals as Arsenal beat Chelsea 2-1 in the FA Cup final at Wembley last weekend, becoming the first African captain to lift the cup. Now, before we look at where he might end up next season, uh, Stuart, just put Aubameyang's scoring achievements over the years into perspective for us. Aubameyang has scored 54 league goals for Arsenal in 85 games in the two and a half seasons he's been with the Gunners. This is approximately one goal every one and a half games, in addition to which he scored 16 cup goals. But we also need to note that nine of his 54 league goals were penalties. He came to Arsenal as a proven goal scorer, having scored 98 goals for Dortmund in four and a half seasons. Now, I have to hold my hand up and say that two and a half years ago on this very programme, I said I was not convinced he would be a big success in the Premier League. He was already 28, and I wondered how quickly he would adjust to the different style of Premier League play. Well, he's been an outstanding success, and I got that completely wrong. To put it in context, he played his first game for Arsenal in February 2018, and since that has scored 70 goals for Arsenal. In the same period, Mo Salah has scored 68, Aguero 61, Harry Kane 59, and Jimmy Vardy 52. He has simply been the outstanding striker in the Premier League during that time. He was signed by Arsene Wenger, who then left Arsenal four months later. 
he has worked under Una Emery, Freddie Lundberg, and currently Mikel Arteta, and has been able to adapt to each manager's different expectations and different style of play while continuing to score freely. He's out of contract at the end of next season, which would enable him to leave Arsenal on a free transfer. That Arsenal will yet again not be able to offer him Champions League football has added to the speculation that he may leave. Arsenal, on the other hand, are reportedly offering him $325,000 a week to sign a new contract. Age is not on his side. He's currently 31, and certainly some big clubs are reluctant to give more than a one-year contract to players of that age. So his future is still in the balance, but my gut feeling is that he will stay at Arsenal. So Stuart feeling that uh, maybe Aubameyang might stay. No doubt on those stats that he's an absolute top draw striker. Uh, lots of debate here in Zimbabwe over whether he should stay with the Gunners or join a club that's playing Champions League football like maybe Real Madrid. Uh, what's the view there in Kenya, Ida? Well, it's 50-50, Steve. I mean, Aubameyang had said that he would stay if Arsenal won the FA Cup because, you know, that guaranteed Europa League football for the Gunners next season. Uh, but at the same time, it really does feel like the second tier of European continental football is much too small for Aubameyang's calibre. But look, what a way to salvage a horrible season. And for Oba to be at the center of it, I think, says a lot. And Steve, not only was the Gabonese integral in the final against Chelsea, where he scored both goals, as you've put it, but he also scored both goals as well in their 2-0 win over Manchester City in the semifinal, where Arsenal absolutely stunned Pep Guardiola. And I know Stuart has pretty much taken us through the statistics, so I won't really get into the numbers. But for Aubameyang to win the Premier League Golden Boot in his first full season for Arsenal, really, I think, showed us his versatility as a player. Because oftentimes, Steve, as we've seen and said here, I mean, we do see players do well in, you know, quote-unquote, less competitive leagues, and then stutter when it comes to the EPL, just because of the pressure, you know, it's a very commercially huge and demanding league. But Aubameyang simply continued his form. And Arsenal started the season with Unai Emery as coach, and then Freddie Lundberg, and then Mikel Arteta. And it seems that amidst all this instability, all this negativity, Steve, we saw the exchange, for example, between um, then-captain Granite Xhaka and the fans. Uh, Mesut Ozil, on his part, seemed clearly on the outs for the entire season. Yet, Steve, it seems that Aubameyang was one of the few stable elements in a very self-destructive unit. So he doesn't really come across as the kind of captain who will shout instructions, you know, and shout motivation at players, as we've seen in the past at Arsenal with the likes of the Vieras and etc., who, you know, frankly were very, very, you know, polarizing personalities and very strong personalities. But, Steve, there was a reason Arteta saw it fit to give Aubameyang the captaincy, and it's because if for nothing else, he does lead by example, which, if you ask me, is just as, if not more powerful. I mean, yes, he loves his fun, but he will also carry the team on his back 
almost single-handedly sometimes, as we've seen, and deliver when it counts. So, look, he's now 31 years old, definitely not getting any younger. So, look, it would be good to see him at a top, top club. He had an incredible stint at Borussia Dortmund, but it still doesn't feel like it. You know what I'm saying, Steve? So now he's been at Arsenal, but it would still be good to see what he can do at the very, very top. So only time will tell. Yes, and asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week. What's best for Aubameyang next season? Will he stay with the Gunners? Might there be a move to Real Madrid or to another club that can give him Champions League football? What do you think is best for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and why? You can go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three. What do you think is best for Aubameyang next season? Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, in sad news, former Cameroon captain Stephen Tator has died at the age of 57. He led the Indomitable Lions to the quarterfinals of the 1990 World Cup in Italy and then became the first African player to play in Japan and inspired a generation of younger players. I spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's and GA Eno in Yaoundé in Cameroon. He told me that Tato brought something new as a defender. It's important for us to mention that prior to the 1990 World Cup, um, a lot of African defenders were considered as brutes and they were regarded as players who depended a lot on their raw strength rather than on their technique. Um, Tato, down to the fact that he's kicked off his football career as a midfielder, a central midfielder, and later on had to play as a right-back, was a sort of skillful defender who, unlike the others who committed a lot of foul, would rather take his time to get into a clean tackle, was able to dribble in the penalty box, in his own penalty box, when uh, the ordinary defender will just balloon that one into the crowd or into the pitch. But he was a very technical player, very skillful one. He played with uh, uh, the sort of wit and swagger that that wasn't inherent in defenders around that era. And uh, he was able to motivate the cast of younger uh, defenders. I mean, one of them is Hugo Besson, who um, later on became uh, captain of Cameroon's national team, who is the longest serving captain in Cameroon, uh, was uh, a captain of the team for 10 years. Song has talked about how uh, playing at the 1994 World Cup alongside Steven Tato, who was still the captain, um, motivated him a lot. Um, he's a football colossus that, that's leaving, and it's, it's really sad for Cameroonian football and for African football. Well, so a great player and a great legacy, but uh, unfortunately, uh, Tato is another great African player to have died in financial hardship. It's something that's becoming way too often nowadays. I, I, I knew Stephen Tato and, and I spoke with him a couple of times and I, I know that he didn't want to use the word financial hardship, but that's what it is. I mean, it was in great financial difficulty. Uh, a lot of people who knew him could tell that um, things weren't going on very well. Uh, he lost his wife. His wife passed away a few years ago, so it was really very difficult for him to deal with it. And then he had uh, a lot of financial difficulties. He was he did some work at the level of uh, the Cameroon Football Federation, and the federation had promised 
that they will um, employ him. It looked like that didn't happen. And at some point, uh, Stephen Tato really was surviving on people helping out. And I, I think he, he was he was kind of shocked with the way things turned out. Because for, for a football legend, he thought that in uh, in the difficult times, he would probably get help from um, the football officials, from his friends, from the football fraternity. But um, it didn't look so. And he took ill. He, his, he had been ill for several years. And I think all of this culminated towards seeing a different factor in the twilight of his earthly journey. He's a man who decided to live a life of seclusion. He tried as much as possible to avoid people. If you went to his residence in Yaoundé Dragash, it was impossible to see him because uh, he told his kids to tell whoever came around that he wasn't there, whereas he was. I, I think he was shocked by a lot of these things. And, and, and at the later part of his life, he became more of a bitter person, uh, uh, disappointed with, with what had happened. Um, as sad as it is to say, I, I feel like a lot of the Cameroonian players, especially those who played around the 80s and the 90s, are in these conditions. Remember that uh, they played during a period when there wasn't a lot of money in football. Uh, there wasn't also a lot of proper management around football careers. And some of them um, retired without really having prepared for life after. It's also true that some of these players made good fortune but squandered them because of poor management. They didn't have proper managers around them. And it's 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 becoming all too often with these Cameroonian players and with a lot of African players who hear about them passing away in such absurd conditions. And Tato has just has just joined the list. I think it's it's the right time for our sports officials, for football officials in the country, to set up a program wherein uh, players can learn how to plan for their retirement. Players can uh, 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 look at the other options that they have. Uh, when they retire, because with most of these African footballers, and, and I'm talking about the Cameroonian players because I'm very close to a lot of them, um, they start thinking about retirement just when they're a few years to retirement. Whereas if they've got the possibility to, to know that the day you sign your first contract, that's when you have to start planning for retirement, I think they'll make better and wiser choices. I, I feel like they need the Football Federation to really accompany them in making some of these choices. And I just hope that the death of Tato will um, help Cameroonian football officials make the right decision at this moment. Yeah, sure. It raises issues that uh, just won't go away in African football. Uh, thanks, NGA. That's a Planet Sport Football Africa's NGA Eno in Yaoundé in Cameroon. Uh, we've heard this before about great footballers dying in poverty, and it doesn't get any easier to hear, does it, Ida? It's the eternal story of African footballers, isn't it, Steve? And it's always a combination of reasons. Poor pay, definitely, yes, has to be at the top of that, but goes hand in hand with lack of structures that we've never really had in African football, dating back to even then, you know. But Steve, at the end of the day, there are those privileged few, you know, who get that chance to 
play at the top, get that chance to make that big money, but for one reason or another, never really make it work to their advantage. And it's a sad situation. And as much as, yes, it is a financial one, it's one that consequently has huge psychological effects. The former stars retreat. As you've heard Njia saying there, they become almost ashamed of uh, their current circumstances. And before his demise, it is reported that Tato had applied for the job of Cameroon head coach. And he was also a part of the Cameroon delegation at the 2019 AFCON. It's also said, Steve, that one of the very last public appearances he made was during the draw ceremony for the Chan that was to be hosted in Cameroon in 2020, of course, way before effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. And indeed, Steve, the world came out to pay their tributes, including Diego Maradona, whose Argentina was stunned by Cameroon at that 1990 World Cup. That will always be one for the books, you know. But I think all this, you know, between Tato's case and so many other situations that we've seen play out in African football basically goes to reinforce a mantra I live by, which is let's give people flowers, Steve, while they can still smell them. Oh, yes, we need to honor our heroes while they're still around and also to find a way of preparing them for life after football. Thanks a lot to Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on newly promoted Fulham. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app too and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can also listen on our New Look website, that's planetsport.tv. You can read interviews there with various sports stars, including Sierra Leone's Umaru Bangura and Ghana's Christian Achu, plus pictures and profiles of all of us in the About Us section on our website, planetsport.tv. Well, now we go to social media, and last week we asked whether Liverpool captain Jordan Henderson deserved to win the English Football Writers Association Footballer of the Year award. Statistics showed that the Reds' performance dropped when he wasn't playing, but many others felt that Henderson wasn't their best player. Uh, The others in the top five were Virgil van Dijk, Sadio Mane, Kevin De Bruyne and Marcus Rashford, who, like Henderson, did a lot to help others off the field. We had another fine response from listeners. Here to present them is Planet Sport Football Africa's Yvonne Mangunda. Thanks, Steve. And we start today on Facebook. And Musa Kamara in The Gambia says, To be honest, I'm anti-Liverpool because I'm a Manchester United fan. But I have to say that Henderson deserved this award. To what's up now and to more Drame in The Gambia who says, Yes, Jordan Henderson did deserve to win the title because midfielders are often overlooked. The game is always dominated by strikers because they score goals and goals win games. Henderson deserves it because without him, the team doesn't have the balance they need. Just like the way Makalele provided it in those days with Chelsea, although it was Drogba who won the attention because he scored the goals. And Efratha Kamanga in Malawi agrees. Probably he deserved to win according to the statistics which were done, says Efratha. I've no objections. It was his year. And neither does Jimmy James Perezi in Uganda have any objections. Having won the title with Liverpool, he was consistently good. He really deserved it and scored crucial goals when needed, says Jimmy. 
John in Ghana also agrees with the choice of Henderson. Well, he really deserved the award, says John. He did very well this season, both before the mid-season break and after. As for Virgil van Dijk and Kevin De Bruyne, better luck to them next time. Tebi Otieno in Kenya says, yes, from the statistics, Henderson deserves the Footballer of the Year award. Remember, the award is given by football writers who must back up their decision with facts on record. The records show that when Henderson didn't play, the Reds' performance dropped. So this means his presence had positive results for the club. Arinaitwe Emi is in Uganda. To me, I don't see anyone else who deserves the award more than Liverpool's captain, says Arinaitwe. Although his form may have declined somewhat, he showed great improvement and was at the top of his game. And we always welcome your voice notes here on Planet Sport Football Africa. And here's Alimami for Fafa in the Gambia. Yes, I think he deserves it because if you look what he has achieved in the club, I think he deserves it. I know there's some players who have done well for their club too. But look, last year, who won the Champions League? Them. And look this year, who won the Premier League? Them. And if you see the gap between them and even my team, United, and even another teams like um, Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal, you name them. If you see the gap, definitely he deserves it. So Alimami supports Henderson's award, but Abdurazak, also in the Gambia, couldn't disagree more. My take on Jordan Henderson being awarded the Football Writers Award is that he didn't even deserve to be part of the team this season, much less getting Player of the Year, says Abdurazak. Hamadi Jalo in the Gambia also finds it hard to accept the decision. I would choose Salah, Mane, De Bruyne, or even Jamie Vardy over Henderson, says Hamadi. It's a clueless decision. But Nsonyi Armstrong in Cameroon suggests a different perspective. Jordan Henderson did have a great season, no doubt, says Nsonyi. Liverpool's very good season supports the fact. Remember, this is their first title for 30 years. But based on the statistics, I think there are other players who deserve the Player of the Year award. I may be a Manchester United fan, says Nsonyi, but I would say Kevin De Bruyne deserves the award. And Idrissa Barr in the Gambia agrees. Henderson did not deserve it, says Idrissa. De Bruyne should have won the award instead. He's more important as he has many more goals and assists. And Obina in Nigeria also agrees. On the field of play, I would give the award to the irreplaceable Kevin De Bruyne because he's been so good, says Obina. Off the field, it has to be Marcus Rashford for his positive campaign that changed the plans of the government into feeding children. To Sierra Leone now and Mohammed believes the title should have gone to one of Henderson's teammates. It's a tough choice to make, but I think Sadio Mane deserves the award, says Mohamed. Without him, Liverpool would not have been champions. He was very pivotal throughout the season with no major injuries and he performed well in all of Liverpool's crucial matches. And Ronald B. Yanatene in the Gambia agrees. The award should have gone to Sadio Mane, says Ronald. He really contributed enormously to Liverpool's success this year. The award should have gone to Sadio. And finally, Malik Gaia in the Gambia says, I don't think Henderson deserved the award because Sadio Mane had a fantastic season. And even more Salah had a better season than Henderson. I think it's because he's English. That's why they voted for him, in my opinion, says Malik.
So then, Steve, a good number of our correspondents this week agreed that it was right for Jordan Henderson to pick up the Football Writers Association Footballer of the Year Award. But there are also many who felt that the honor should have gone to either Manchester City's Belgian midfielder, Kevin De Bruyne, or Henderson's Liverpool teammate, Sadio Mane. Well, very interesting debate, that one, with some uh, very strong opinions. Uh, thanks very much to Yvonne Mangunda, and thanks to all who got in touch with us on social media. Let's go back to Stuart Weir in the UK now, as Fulham won the Championship playoff, earning promotion to the English Premier League, going up along with Leeds and West Brom. Uh, tell us a bit about Fulham, Stuart. Fulham beat Brentford in the Championship playoff to secure promotion to the Premier League in what was called the $210 million game. That is what it would have been worth to Brentford. It's worth slightly less to Fulham, who are already on Premier League parachute payments, having been relegated last season. So you can see why both teams wanted to win. Fulham is a West London club with a rich history. In the 1960s, they were in the top division, but by 1990s had dropped down to the fourth tier of English football, what we now call League Two. In 2001, they were promoted to the Premier League for the first time, spending 12 years in the Premier League. Their best performance was 2009, when they finished seventh, giving them a place in the Europa League, of which the following season they reached the final. They were relegated in 2014, spent four years in the championship before gaining promotion in 2018, relegated immediately and promoted immediately. So the last three seasons, they've gone up, down, up. And in a way, you might say that Fulham are one of these teams who are not quite good enough for the Premier League, but too good for the championship. They currently have two African players, Neskens Cabano from DR Congo and Ibrima Cisse from Guinea. But Cisse has not played in the last year. The playoffs are intrinsically unfair in that a team finishing sixth in the table can get promotion at the expense of the team finishing third. However, it really keeps the season alive for anyone in the top half of the table is always thinking they can make the playoffs. And that must be a good thing. But you have to feel for Brentford, who won seven games in a row after the restart to put them into third place. And actually, Brentford lost their last two games in the regular season when a win in either of those would have secured automatic promotion into the Premier League at the expense of West Bromwich Albion. Sadly, they lost both. It would have been an amazing achievement for Brentford, who were last in the top tier of English football 73 years ago. Yes, and uh, very tough for Brentford. The ninth time they've been in the championship playoffs and are still trying to get back into the top flight. And uh, Stuart, what else have you got for us? Steve, part of the fallout of AFC Bournemouth's relegation was the departure of manager Eddie Howe. Howe was a Bournemouth player for 10 years, playing 270 league games for the club. He was manager for three years, spent two years as manager of Burnley, returning to Bournemouth in 2013 when Bournemouth were in League One and he took them into the Championship and then into the Premier League and was there for five seasons, including finishing ninth in the Premier League. He was Bournemouth manager for over 450 games, immensely popular, but he is gone. He said, Bournemouth will always be in my heart, but I firmly believe that now is the time for the club to have a change. 
We've talked previously about the absolute farce of relegation from the championship. Well, it continues. It's still not settled. Remember, Barnsley, Charlton Athletic and Hull City were the three clubs who finished in the three relegation places. However, Wigan Athletic went into administration and had points deducted. They then appealed against the points deduction, but they've lost their appeal. So Wigan will be relegated and Barnsley are now safe. Sheffield Wednesday had a 12-point deduction awarded for financial mismanagement, but unusually, this is set to apply next season, not this season. But Charlton Athletic have appealed against the decision because if Wednesday had the points applied this season, Wednesday would be relegated and Charlton Athletic would stay up. And finally, we're still waiting to hear if Derby County's alleged financial misdemeanors will result in a points deduction for them. What an utter mess the whole situation is. Steve, I want to talk to you now about the birds and the bees. Watford were relegated from the Premier League this season, and their nickname is the Hornets. Now, had Brentford got promoted, it would have been very appropriate, as their nickname is the bees. That would have been one insect replacing another. But as far as bird lovers are concerned... We've lost the Canaries, Norwich City. Last season, we lost the Bluebirds, Cardiff City, and previously the Swans, Swansea City. And a few years back, the Robins, Swindon Town. But all is not lost for bird lovers. We still have Newcastle United, the Magpies, Crystal Palace, the Eagles, and Brighton, the Seagulls. (laughs) <laughs> so still a bit of bird life in the English Premier League. Thanks, Stuart. Uh, the European football action still coming with the Champions League and Europa League are now underway and are giving us a plenty of interest. Well, that's it for the show for this week. Uh, from me, Steve Vickers and Yvonne Mangunda in Harare, Ida Waringa in Nairobi and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.